Welcome back, everyone. Such a joy to be with you again on this podcast. Thank you for your overwhelming support. We've had people just tuning in, downloading from different parts of the world. So we truly believe that many of you are being blessed. And our heart and desire is really to share principles from God's Word that will enable you to live fruitful, productive, and successful lives. I've begun a new series called Relationship, Sex, and Marriage. And my heart is to share with you 10 principles for building godly relationships. And I'm sharing this mainly from a biblical perspective with the understanding that all truth comes from God and the definition of relationship, sex, and marriage, and everything related to that comes from God because God is a source of all truth. And I began sharing from Genesis chapter 24. In Isaac's search for a pride, there are timeless principles that we can apply in every culture, in every age, in every generation. These principles will work because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means truth works, and truth is for our benefit. These principles are not here to restrict us from having fun. A lot of people think that God's commandments are to restrict us from having fun. God is a killjoy. He's not. He created us. He knows what is best for us. And His rules and His commandments are really there for our protection, for our preservation, so that we are able to live life successfully and enjoy the blessing that He has for us. So if you will apply these principles in your lives, you will have godly relationships and enter successfully into marriage. Relationships are so important for every human being because we are created in the image of God and God is a relational God. God is one but existing in a trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they have a perfect relationship of agape between the three of them. In the same way, we are created in His image. That means we are created to be relational beings. We are not created to exist as an island, to be lone rangers. All of us from the moment we are born, little babies, we have a desire to be loved and to love, a desire to be seen and to see, a desire to be known and to know. And that's why God put us in relationships, in families, in tribes, so that this need, this vital instinctive, instinctive need for relationship is met. Today I want to share with you the second principle, and this is the principle of being equally yoked. Genesis 24, verse 4, Abraham says to his servant, Go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham is concerned that his son will marry within the same tribe. He wants Isaac to marry within the same tribe and not the daughters of the people among whom he is living. Now, there is wisdom that Abraham had in desiring to choose it's because there is a principle of shared inheritance that I will be sharing later. Now, of course, today we don't say that you must marry within the same village, the same tribe, and the same community because now we understand that there is value in every tribe, every race, every country. And, of course, we have seen over the years that there's so much intermarriage. People have married between different tribes and different races. And it is blessed by God. So the principle that we can apply today 
from Genesis 24 verse 4 is this, to marry within the same faith. That means if you are a born-again Christian, you have joined the tribe of Christianity. I'm talking about genuine believers. And the Bible is telling us to find your spouse to build relationship within the same faith. We see this principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 16. The Bible says here, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is saying here that the believer, the moment you accept Jesus Christ, you have become righteousness. You have changed. It is not just a certificate that you get. You have changed completely from the inside out. Your nature has changed. You have become righteousness, whereas the unbeliever is lawlessness. The believer has become light, whereas the unbeliever has still in darkness. And that's why he says, what communion, what koinonia, what sharing has light with darkness? Light cannot mixed with darkness. It's like oil and water. And then in verse 15, God is saying that the believer is Christ because you have Christ in you, whereas the unbeliever is Belial, another name for Satan. He doesn't have Christ in him. So what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The Bible says the believer is the temple of God, whereas the unbeliever is idols. The believer is alive, whereas the unbeliever is dead. So for that reason, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Marriage is a yoke. Because the moment you get married, the law recognizes you as an institution. And the law says that you are now yoked. You cannot just separate unless it's through a legal process. And to be yoked means that you are joined together. See, the word yoke is referring to a harness that brings two oxen together when they are plowing the field. That means both has to go in the same direction. That means once you are yoked, even with another human being in marriage, let's say from another faith, another religion, both of you have to go in the same direction as he or she does. So the question is, where will you go? To the temple or to the church? What values will you hold? What morality will guide your life. How are you going to bring up your children? With what principles are you going to discipline them, nurture them, bring them up? How are you going to define the values that are important for you? And how are you going to live? Because marriage is not just a romantic arrangement that you decide to be with someone because you love. In marriage, you're building a family together, you're building children together, you're building a life together, you're building a legacy together to be passed down to the generations. So you have to ask yourself the question, where will we go together after we're married? What values will we hold? And what about the children who will they follow? Will they follow the mother's faith or the, or the father's faith? There's something called the law of gravity. And this law states that it is easier to be pulled down 
than to be pulled up. So usually I have discovered in my experience with so many that have married with other faiths that usually it is the Christian that has to compromise on their beliefs. I've seen so many cases of Christian girls marrying unbelievers. And sometimes the unbelievers would say, I'm willing to be baptized. I'm willing to convert. And in their understanding, if they're baptized, they become a Christian. If they just get a certificate, they are Christian. But let me tell you this. Being a Christian is not just a baptism ceremony wherein someone gets a certificate. You see, that person that you are dating, that you want to marry, is not just a person. He's coming with an entire belief system in him. So you're not just marrying a person and now you think that baptism gives you the freedom to marry that person because now that person's a Christian. No. There's an entire belief system in him that has been built for years. And you're not just marrying a person. You're not just marrying a body. You're not just marrying into a family. You're marrying a belief system. And the decisions that you're going to take in the future, investments, children, retirement, worship, faith, all of that is influenced by belief systems. Even the simple decision to give money to the church, tithe and offerings. Couples from different faiths have conflicts there. All right? So the belief systems come into the play immediately once the marriage begins to start playing out, start working, as you begin to be living as a couple. So understand this. You're not just marrying a person. You're marrying a belief system. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they be agreed. So the Bible is very clear. Unless you agree with someone on a specific uh, vision, on a specific project, on a specific value system, you cannot walk together. And that is where we see the power of unity and also the blessing of unity. Unity is when all parties are agreed, and when they are agreed, there is power in that union, and we see greater blessing, greater fruitfulness, and greater power in the lives of those people who are united. But when there is disagreement, when there is disunity, it's destructive, it destroys, it does not bring fruitfulness, rather it diminishes the fruitfulness that are there in individuals, that is there in a project, that is there in any vision. So unity is so important in a marriage relationship, and that unity comes from principles and values that you both can agree upon. But the principles and the values come from your faith. And now, let me say this. It is not only important to be equally yoked with a person of the same faith, but also with the same compatibility, the same maturity. If a believer has passion for God, devoted to prayer, devoted to missions, hungry for the Word of God, pursuing God with all the heart, and he or she falls in love or begins to like another believer, but this believer is carnal, he has no interest in God, no interest in the church, no interest in pursuing God. There is incompatibility there. And even in a marriage like this, you're going to face difficulties. I've seen Christian marriages where husbands and wives, even though of the same faith, 
are incompatible because they are of different spiritual levels. Some have a heart for missions, some don't care at all for missions. Some really care for giving money to the lost, whereas the other person has no interest in it. And that's where they see all the conflicts begin to take place. So it's so important that we are equally yoked, not only with people of the same faith, but also with people of the same maturity, the same spiritual passion. And so it's important to apply this principle in your life because this will save you from heartache. This will save you from just brokenheartedness, from difficult relationships as you go on. The third principle is this. It's taken from verse 16, Genesis chapter 24. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man has ever laid with her. This is the principle of purity. There is beauty in purity. God is saying this. Before marriage, you must honor chastity. That means you must remain a virgin. Now we understand that in the times of today, the culture, there is tremendous peer pressure from social media, from friends in school and college to have sex, to look fashionable, to look like you are in with the times. However, God's truth tells us that chastity, virginity, purity is beautiful. Beautiful in God's eyes. The Bible says that Rebecca was a woman of chastity, woman of purity, and that's why she was beautiful. So the principle is this, honor chastity. Honor your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And guard your purity before marriage, even if you are in a relationship. Now we may look at virginity as being old-fashioned, but it is not. According to God, virginity is beautiful because this lady was beautiful which means virginity is desirable let me also say this virginity is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your future spouse in fact it is the one gift that you can give to only one person at only one time in only one life that you have and after that it is gone let me say it again it is the one gift that you can give to only one person at only one time in only one life that you have and after that it is gone and therefore you must value your purity and guard it value yourself you are valuable you are bought with the precious blood of jesus christ and therefore your purity is valuable Understand that. Do not compromise your purity in any circumstance, in any way whatsoever. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God intends that Sex is only for the marriage relationship. Before the marriage relationship, the Bible is clear that there should be no sexual involvement in any of the relationships. 
Let me ask you a simple test right now. What is your purity threshold? What is the purity that you are comfortable with at this moment? Let's say you are a single Christian, you are dating, or you're willing to date. What is your purity threshold? That means what are you comfortable with? And I'll go from a scale of 1 to 10. Number one is holding hands. Are you comfortable with holding hands? Number two, hands over shoulders. Do you feel that's okay? Number three, a hug. I'm not saying that this is with um, your brother or with someone of the same sex. I'm talking about with someone with whom you are dating or having a serious relationship. with. Number four, short kiss. Number five, a long kiss. Number six, kissing and caressing. What is your purity threshold? Would you stop at number six? Number seven is fondling. Number eight is petting. Or should we say touching each other's private parts? Are you comfortable here? If that is so, then there's a problem. Number nine is the undressing one another's body. And number 10, sexual intercourse. All right? So the question is this. How far would you go from a scale of one to 10 if you had the opportunity, before you feel that you have crossed the line of purity, before you feel that, ah, this is wrong, I should stop it. Why this is important for you to understand now is this. The nature of flesh that we have makes it easier to cross the line. If we have this cross the line mentality wherein even though we are born again, we are in the kingdom of God, yet we want to live as close as possible to the border of sin. And we're always thinking, how much can I get away with? How much can I sin and still get away with? That's a cross-the-line mentality. That's like living with one foot in darkness and another foot in the light. It's like living with one foot in the border of Nagaland living with one foot in Nagaland and living with the other foot in Assam. You want the best of both worlds. You're trying to be a good Christian, but you also want to enjoy the pleasures of this world. So you're always thinking, how much sin can I get away with before I get caught? That's a cross-the-line mentality. And if you have the cross-the-line mentality, you would have a purity threshold that can be easily broken. What does the Bible say about the purity threshold? It's important that we know what the Bible says about it. All right? So, on the next podcast, I'm going to talk more about the beauty of purity, and I'll deal with the purity threshold again. God bless you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com. 
and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.